Kevin, November 9th, 1997, something went down which rocked the wrestling world forever, changed how wrestling was seen by many, shifted the tide in the wars, and so much came with it. Here today, what we're going to do, pal, is deep dive into it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So what, what are we going to talk about here, pal? What exactly was it, pal? What, was it uh, Ahmed Johnson getting his kidney lacerated by Ron Simmons? Cheap plug, cheap plug for the latest wrestling uncovered video. Um, yes. If you haven't seen that. Yes. Check it out. Uh, that's that's scandalous in itself. Today we're covering something that's more scandalous, even more controversial. Kevin. Uh, what? Dusty Rose wearing polka dots, pal. <laughs> Today we're doing the Montreal screw job. Yes. Um, this is. Yes. Synonymous. We're gonna we're gonna talk about what Bret Hart got screwed by the evil Mr. McMahon. When Vincent Kennedy McMahon thought, no, nope, the best solution to what's going on right now. Oh, we'll Screw get him, we'll get pal. To it. We'll get to it. Kevin, firstly, though, before we get into all this <laughs> festivities, all these shenanigans, all this breakdown, questions, we've got a whole run sheet. First, just want to say, shout out everyone's listening lately. One on our YouTube, subscribers ticking up, views ticking up, traction going up. We love to see that. Kevin, audio platforms. How are we doing, pal? What's going uh, you know, on? Hey, we're doing well out there. We still need some five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That'd be great. Help us get into the algorithm. Uh, we really need that. The the uh, the landscape behind the scenes and producing audio podcasts just keeps changing day by day, seemingly, uh, with, with the people that distribute our podcast. So we have to hit new goals and ma- meet new analytics, new quotas, pal. We got to keep the big man happy. We got to get that sweet, sweet Spotify money somehow, pal. So, yeah, we need all of your help with that, please, and thank you. If you want to, uh, one day, you know, if you want to see us have a legitimate shoot fight for your entertainment, you know, Jimmy and I will, will do that once we, uh, we make enough money to get a studio, pal. And then we can have a, a legitimate MMA match, pal, for your entertainment. Are, are you down with that, pal? Pal, if we get enough listenership, enough support, and we're both sitting in some studio in New York or in Florida yelling at each other about wrestling or whatever we're going to discuss... If that's what if that's what is gonna happen, it's gonna happen, pal. And it's your support, all the listeners hearing this through your headphones, watching us on YouTube, all that is gonna make it happen. And Kevin, pal, I just, wanna... I, I just wanna say this: I'm gonna shoot on you the same way that Farouk shot on Ahmed Johnson on an episode of Raw in 1996, pal. <laughs> <laughs> pal, this is ridiculous. So, without with all this being said, let's just cut right to this, Kevin. A lot of people listening to this already know Montreal, they're familiar. Some might not be. Some are maybe, you know, you've heard of it, you know of it, but you don't know what happened. I'm going to ask you a question here. You have, we'll say three minutes. Let's keep this more to the point. It's what we do. How we give you what you need to hear. I'm not going to give you an hour-long version. I'll ask you, Kevin, three minutes. Do your best to explain the Montreal screw job. what happened. All right, so this is essentially what happened, right? Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels hated each other backstage. Um, Bret Hart had signed a lucrative contract, I'd say maybe six months or so, like in like like around WrestleMania 13 time. He signed like a 20 year deal, is I want to say it was a 10 year contract as an active wrestler and 10 years as like an agent. So then a few months later, like in the summer, Vince's like, hey, can't afford the contract, pal. And Bret's like, all right, I'm going to go make more money in WCW. I'm going to get that sucker Eric Bischoff, get all the money from him that I can for like two years. And then I'll come back in 2000, 2001. Um, and then Brett's like, all right, well, um, yeah, I'm going to go sign with WCW. And Vince's like, okay, I need you to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels, you know, my top star. And Brett's like, I hate Shawn Michaels, not dropping the belt to him. And Vince's like, well, you can't go do what Medusa did and drop the belt in the garbage. We're not going to risk that happening. So you either drop it or we'll figure out a way to get the title off you, whether you like it or not. And yeah, um, that Brett thought they worked out a deal where it was like going to be a DQ finish. And then he would vacate the belt the next night after Survivor Series. And instead, we saw what we all saw, the Montreal Screwjob, a real-life double-crossing in terms of the booking and creative position, where Bret Hart did not see what was what happened, he did not see it coming. Sean put him in the sharpshooter, bell rings, Sean gets out of there, boom. That was brilliant. Um, that, was, that was 90 seconds, and you've, you've done a very good job. So that happened Survivor Series 97, which, for context now... This was 26 years ago. Yes. And we're still feeling the ripples of what happened, pal. As we'll discuss throughout this podcast, 
so much happened because of it. So much went down. So where you've got us up to Survivor Series 97, Brett isn't aware of what's going on. Shawn Michaels puts Bret Hart and Bret Hart's submission finisher maneuver. Earl Hebner, the referee, rings the bell. Then what? What happens from there? What goes down? Well, you see what happens is, um, you know, they go to the backstage area, right? And that's that's Sean, Brett, Triple H, Vince McMahon, Russo's back there, all the agents, Jerry Briscoe, all those guys. And uh, Bret Hart is like talking to Vince. He's like, I'm gonna go take a shower, pal. And if I if I come back here, I'm gonna if I come back here and you're here, I'm gonna knock you out. So then there was uh, at the same time, Bret Hart was filming a documentary called Wrestling with Shadows. So he had a documentary crew literally following him around and literally documenting every single thing that's going on leading up to and throughout the night of Survivor Series 1997. So they, they, the documentary crew catches Bret and Sean having a conversation where Bret's like, hey, did you know about this? Sean's like, no, I swear, man. I didn't know, bro. And like you got like Paul Bearer back there. The Undertaker's like guarding the locker room, like making sure that <laughs> other wrestlers can't get in there. It's like a really tense night. Like Mick Foley walks out. Like Mick Foley threatens to quit. It's crazy, pal. So Brett gets out the shower, and Vince is still standing there in the locker room. And Vince is like, "Hey, we're gonna talk about this, or you can just hit me." So Brett hits him, knocks him down, uh, gives him the infamous shiner that Vince was rocking the next night on Raw, where he cut the infamous promo where he said that Brett screwed Brett. So he got that shiner from good old Brett, pal. Unlike Terry Bollea, Vince McMahon will admit that he got hit by another wrestler, and that's how he got the black eye. Terry Bollea will not go on record to say that Macho Man beat him up after after Macho Man found out that Hulk Hogan was hiding his wife. So, you know, credit to Vince for admitting that, pal. So, shout out to him. Pal, the one thing in all that I will say, and once again, there's a lot to unpack there. The one thing I do love about that, and... The Undertaker, Mark Holloway, tells the stories when he was interviewed on it a few years ago and just what he says nowadays when asked. I love that visual of just The Undertaker, this seven-foot-tall, just huge man, the locker room leader, the, the most respected person in the locker room or one of them. Yes. You know, barricading the, like, the locker room door, pretty much being like, you know, you, you have all your, you know, all the boys, all the all the, like, the mid-carders, the lower mid-carders, enhancement talents, They'd all be trying to storm in there, get their two cents in. Me, mm-hmm. Mark, she's like, ah, oh, piss off, get out. Yep. This room, this room's for Brett, his team, the documentary crew, I guess, Vince, any agents. Because as Jim Ross says, Jim Ross was like locked in a room. So because he, he was the head of talent relations, pal, and his phone was buying up for three days straight, trying to sort out all this this debacle. So Kevin, now, so that was the basics of what happened. That was the event itself, bit of the build up. I'll ask you, you touched on Brett and Sean. They're at the center point of all this. These are the two guys who were in the match that was the screw job. So I guess talk to us now from a behind the scenes standpoint. You're very in tune with the behind the scenes. This is your bit. Yes. Brett and Sean, mm-hmm. talk to us. Well, I want to say this real quick uh, uh, to add on to what happened that night of, in Montreal. So Triple H talked about in an interview that he, uh, he felt like, I guess, Tony Khan did at All In 2023. Uh, Triple H was legitimately afraid for his life when uh, being escorted from the arena to the hotel. You know, there were fans, like, waiting out in the parking lot, like, like, like trying to destroy their cars and, like, trying to get at them. And, you know, maybe slightly different circumstances than what Tony Khan went through. But uh, everybody's just catching straight bullets today, I guess. Like, Terry Balea, Ahmed Johnson, uh, you know, nobody's safe right now, pal. So, yeah, so Triple H talks about it, how he and Sean were literally running through a crowd of... French Canadians, pal, that were trying to kill them because they screwed over their hero Bret Hart. I mean, that that's just amazing. Like that, like the, like the backstage of wrestling is oftentimes more fascinating than what we see on the screen. A, a story of Triple H and Shawn Michaels, the guys that are basically running WWE and NXT, producing the product that we see today in 2023. Those guys are running through streets in Montreal with like mobs of people trying to kill them. That's way more fascinating than watching John Cena like be the doorman at a hotel and like punch david otunga kevin people and to use like a modern day example people are more interested in yeah that literally paul levesque who's in his mid-20s and sean michaels who was what 30 early 30s he's around there at the stage getting escorted and fearing for their lives these crazed incensed angry french canadians death threats trying to fight them throw things beat them up that was what was going down. They, they barely make it out of Montreal. You got legitimately in fear for their lives. And these are the same two guys who are 
putting together war games matches, turning Oscar heel on SmackDown, arranging Drew McIntyre to be the fifth member of Judgment Day for Survivor Series 2023 war games. Like, it's just funny how wrestling turns. Like, these are the two guys that are in the curtain call and you got, you know, the Montreal screw job and everything behind the scenes, which is just so true. The behind the scenes of wrestling is just fascinating, which is just, you know, it gives us this topic today, which changed wrestling forever. Kevin, that being said... Let's keep it going. Brett and Sean. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the backstage being fascinating. Like, Brett and Sean Michaels' relationship and their rivalry. There's literally been, like, DVDs made about this where they they sat down, like, Shaq and Kobe style and just talked about everything that the two of them went through. It's a, it's a hell of an interview. It's a hell of a watch. Um, really, the highlights here, are, you know, the biggest one is when um, it was an episode of Raw. It was, like, mid-97, probably, like, August or something. Shawn Michaels cutting a promo on Bret Hart on live television on WWF Monday Night Raw's War. He looks at Bret Hart and he says, Oh, you're having some sunny days, huh, Bret? Implying that Bret Hart was having an affair with Sonny. While Shawn Michaels was actually the one that was having an affair with Sonny. Um, you know, he got, probably got Bret in legitimate trouble with his wife. I mean, Bret did talk oh about it in his book God. how he did have a ton of affairs. So, you know, it was what it was. But uh, he was just mad because it was Sean saying it and, you know, saying it on live TV. Um, yeah, they, they had like a backstage scuffle after that. They, they were fighting and like, yeah, somebody got suspended. I, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But bottom line, the two guys, the human beings behind the characters of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart did not like each other. Um, but what's weird about it is that they were friends for a long time because, you know, they've both been around WWE a long time, like. I think Sean started like 1988. Brett started like 86, 87. So um, they were cool. You know, they used to wrestle each other as the Hart Foundation and the Rockers. And they were cool all through like the early 90s when they were becoming single stars. And nobody really knows what happened. I mean, it's like, like most people just say it was the drugs. And Sean said it was the drugs. He just became difficult to deal with after doing all these drugs and, you know, hanging out with the wrong people. And yeah, that was kind of it. Yeah, wow. And uh, and the things that the stories that have been shared from Sean and his camp in the mid 90s, I get, you know, you share the point about Bret Hart, how, I mean, Bret was no like saint, right? Like, he, he, I guess, from everything we hear, all the stories and just everything, he was a bit more grounded in reality. He was a bit more of a, I guess, we'll say respected backstage in the 90s. There was a bit less to Bret Hart than there was Sean. Sean, you mentioned the drugs, you mentioned the affairs. You mentioned the, the controversy, 96 particularly, into 97, where this took place late in the year. There was so much going on with Sean. I mean, he was damn near impossible to work with. As many shoot interviews and people backstage have said, he was a, a nightmare. He was a nuisance. He was so, I mean, there, there was ego involved. There was drugs involved. There was all of it. And it, it led to what we got. Um, Kevin, I'll ask you now, a lot's been said. When it comes to this, when it comes to these two, you mentioned the documentary on Jim Ross, Wrestling with Shadows. There was all this he said, she said, this wrestler, this shoot interview, yada, yada. Who, I was wondering your opinion because you've listened to all of it pretty much. Who do you believe? Who don't you believe? Like, is there one or two accounts you think, yeah, but I think that, that one or that, those two are like the main ones I trust? Or is there something you've heard which you're like, no way, just that's cap? Like, wh where are you at? Just, you don't want to run us through some of the main accounts you've heard. Uh, honestly, um, I like what Triple H, Jim Cornette, and Bruce Pritchard. I want to say have all taken credit for being the ones that booked the Montreal Screwjob. I mean, essentially, what happened was what I believe happened was, um, according to most accounts, it was like it was Vince, it was Sean, it was Bruce, Russo, and Cornette, and probably Triple uh, probably Triple H was involved in these meetings too. Um, they were all like getting in a room. Like, okay, what do we do? Like, we need to come up with a scenario to make this work. Like, we have to, like, we want Sean to win the title from Brett. And we got to figure out a way to get Brett to do the job. And they, like, apparently they came up with, like, a bunch of different scenarios. Like, we'll do a DQ, whatever. Uh, we could put a stipulation where, like, if Bret Hart does this move, he loses the belt. You know, we could do a count out and, and have, him, have it change hands that way. But it, it always, like, it came down to, like, what Brett said. Brett... Even Brett will say this, like, he said to Vince, I'm a hero in Canada, and I'm not losing in Canada. You know, I'll do the job the next night in wherever, New York or whatever. So, I don't know, like, 
they all kind of say the same thing. You know, like Cornette said, okay, we were in a meeting, and I said, why don't we just screw him? Let's do this. Have Sean put him in the in the screw in um have Sean put him in the sharpshooter, and we'll ring the bell, and and Earl will get the hell out of there. Give Sean the belt. And Triple H basically said the same thing, and so did Russo. So I don't know. They like they all say the same thing. They all take credit for it. I don't know to who who came up with it. It was probably all of them. I'm sure all of them said it. They, if they were racking their brains about it for days and weeks on end, I'm sure at some point even Vince was like, oh, I'm, I don't want to screw him, but we'll do it. We got to. And the question I have on this, and maybe you have some insight, maybe some of our listeners have some insight. Essentially, as you've explained, Brett was leaving. So the whole thing is we don't want him going to WCW, pissing on the belt, chucking in the garbage, making a mockery of our sacred prize. That, and that makes sense from like the Vince company point of view. That's all good. Why did it have to be Sean he loses the title to? I, why couldn't it be The Undertaker or Steve Austin or one of those? Mainly The Undertaker probably because I, I guess that, the plan was Austin at WrestleMania at that stage. It, it, maybe they had that plan. But, but that, that's why because they wanted, they wanted Sean to put over Austin. They wanted, they wanted the biggest star to put over Austin. And they thought having Sean beat Brett, it would have been better than, you know, Brett vacating the title and then somebody else winning it. Like Sid wins it for like a couple weeks and Sean beats him. You know, they just thought it'd be best to keep the momentum going that way. So Sean can be as credible as possible when he, um, when he loses to Austin. And they just couldn't have had The Undertaker be a transitional champion for a month or two. I think he said this in interviews himself. He's like, you know, if that would have alleviated this i mean it probably would have i mean brett was would have been willing i mean undertaker says brett was willing. there's a lot of this with the screwjob as you say this person said this this person said this is a great this is a, there's a lot of the he said she said sort of stuff but you have to imagine well, I, I think it was more of like an ego thing i think it was like mm-hmm. vince is like okay you're gonna lose to sean and mm-hmm. brett's saying no i'm not going to and vince is like yeah you are like i think it was just that like that like yeah. like you just you just push and push and push you try to get your own way and then and it, you end up not getting what you want. I think that's, that's probably realistically what it was. Yeah, and 100%. Because I mean, this is Vince McMahon. Everyone has their own opinion on Vince. There's a lot to come with Vince, as your channel Wrestling Uncovered goes into. There's a lot to that man. But one thing that's for sure, he gets something said in his mind, that happens. That's, that's just what the direction is. And because he was the big head honcho, especially this time, that, that was the direction they went. Instead of The Undertaker or some other outcome... The wouldn't have led to borderline riots in Montreal, a, a shoot punch backstage, everything that the screw job caused. Could have been happy days, pal, not sunny days. Happy days, transitional champion, belt gets off Brad, he's cool with it, or he just vacates it on the raw the next night or something. Instead, we got what we got, Kevin. So well, he, he could like oh. contractually, he was done after Survivor Series. So he didn't have to show up. To the next night on raw so that was like the main thing why they didn't want to do that um the what what brett proposed was that he he lost the title to ken shamrock um on raw and just did that he also didn't want to lose in canada that's the other thing brett didn't want to lose in canada it didn't matter if it was sean or to anybody you know so i don't even believe that like undertaker saying that brett was willing to because the story has been from everyone else including brett that he did not want to lose in canada you know and Razor Ramon went on to like did an interview and he was like, bro, like this guy took himself so serious. Like he called him the four hundred thousand dollars a year champion. He was like, Brett didn't care if he was making garbage money as long as he was doing putting everybody in the sharpshooter and getting his arm raised at the end of the night holding the championship. Like he didn't care if he was getting screwed in terms of like money. So I don't know. I think like Brett really believed he was a hero in Canada, and I mean he is one of the most famous Canadians. And most respected athletes, but I don't know. Well, uh, it's interesting that he didn't want to lose. Well, Kevin, I'll ask you now, and sort of, I mean, looking at this in the long form, because we can discuss the the semantics of whether Bret Hart really believed what he said this, or whether the Undertaker he said this about this. But would Bret have? You can discuss this for hours and hours and hours, and people have like there are literally four or five hour long podcasts round tables doing just that we'll we'll leave that for them well i'm going to ask you now interpret this and answer this however you want 26 years later i'll just ask you was the screw job good for wrestling bad for wrestling sort of where do you sit on that now like 26 years later um hmm. well it was good for wrestling in a sense that 
it created the Attitude Era. It created the Mr. McMahon character. It made Mr. McMahon the hottest heel. Set him up for a, a iconic rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin that carried the WWE into becoming a publicly traded company. So it was good from that standpoint, the fact that it saved wrestling. Um, ultimately, it, it, it was a roadblock. You know, it was a, uh, it was a turning point in the Monday Night Wars. We'd be watching Hulk Hogan at 73 at Wrestling Ultimate Warrior on TNT if it weren't for uh, the Montreal Screwjob, most people will probably believe. So that's really where it was good. Um, in terms of bad, well, it's created a lot of imitation and a lot of that from WWE. Like, we've seen this angle being done so many times now. Most notably is probably the CM Punk contracts, like Money in the Bank 2011 situation. Um, I can't remember what it was where they, they just blatantly ripped off the screwdriver. I can't remember what match it was. I just know there was an instance. I, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but there was one. Um, I don't know, but it, it created this like formulaic booking style. Why am I thinking Styles and TNA or something? Maybe. TNA have ripped this off. They have. Yeah. Um, they've done something and it, it, it just became a, a thing. Now, it hasn't been used too, too often. Thankfully, it's not like every two months a pay-per-view is going to end with the executive, the GM walking out and threatening to ring the bell when the, the Russell Bayon one wins, looking in a position of vulnerability. But, I mean, the main one's Sam Punk Money in the Bank 2011 and everything surrounded that. They, they use this storyline and to great effect. Like, that was a hit when they did it with Sam Punk. Um, but I guess, in my opinion with this, the Screwjob added a lot of spice, like a lot of real-life kind of zest to the Monday Night War because Monday Night War up to this point was WCW in no, by November 97 steamrolling WWE for what over about a year now by that point a bit over a year like it'd been because they, they took the lead what 96 late 96 so they, they were steamrolling them and this really was a massive turning point in that as you say it was a fork in the road for what would become the turning point for world wrestling entertainment or the federation the fed pal as they say and this <laughs> In in hindsight, now, yeah. some are going to hear this and think, oh, my God, F you, this is wrong. In my opinion, looking at it, this made Mr. McMahon. Yes. It just it, yeah. this accelerated Vince McMahon from, yeah, Steve Austin stunned him in MSG in September 97. Cool. And he was, you know, getting beaten up and people knew he was the boss. Like when you're listening to the show in the 90s and you, you watch it go, okay, Vince McMahon, he's the commentator, but like that guy runs there. Like he's, you know, he's a big wig in the company. But then this made it seem like this is Mr. Effin McMahon. This is the asshole boss that we want to see get beaten up. That, 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 and that set up Steve Austin. And that's what really helped accelerate the war. So, I mean, this was huge. This was massive for what it did. Uh, Kevin, I'll ask you. Well, that, that, let me say this, just about the, the point I was making about the formulaic booking. Yeah. So it's something that we've seen now for a number of years where the Montreal Screwjob is kind of the outlier for this, or the originator, I guess you could say. The pioneer is probably the better word. It was the pioneer of the storyline where you approach it from a standpoint of like, okay, we're going to try to keep people guessing, like, what's real, what's not, you know? And that's been, I think overall, that's been more harmful than it has been beneficial to the wrestling business. Because, you know, now it's devolved into, like, what we've seen in the past, like, 12 years where you got cesaro doing shoot interviews about how he deserves better because he's a better wrestler than john cena in the ring like and that all started with the screw job like there was no real like reality based storylines up until this standpoint so it gave birth to reality based storytelling yes yeah that's a fantastic sound bite i love that but no like absolutely right and as a result now a bunch of the things we say can be attributed to this because of how significant it was. And Kevin, I'll ask you now, from, I guess, the, the follow-up, I mean, I've mentioned just passingly the Vince McMahon and now he became Mr. McMahon and everything that accelerated from there. What about the Bret Hart side of it? Because this was the defining moment and such a significant moment in Bret Hart's career. Mm -hmm. What happened to Bret Hart after November 9, 1997? Like what, like, what went down? Because at this stage, as is the case, Bret's the most talked about person in the business he's the one who's been screwed over he's had his championship screwed away from him by a, a small select committee of like five or six people with vince sean and whoever else is in the meetings jim ross didn't even know allegedly 
like such a small group. Brett's so talked about. He's so. What happens after? What goes down? Well, WCW and Eric Bischoff dropped the ball. Like honestly, like that's that's being kind about it. Uh, they were given a golden ticket. Like Vince McMahon gave them the fuel they needed to keep defeating them in the war by giving them the hottest wrestler in the world. Like he was in in ninety seven and after the screw job, Brett was the biggest thing going, you know, and, and Brett is still one of the most recognizable wrestlers in the world on the back of the screw job, you know, essentially. Um and WCW they brought him in and he was like a guest referee. I think that was his first appearance. I don't even remember what match it was. It was like like Scott Hall versus Goldberg or something. Somebody will correct me. I don't know the exact match, but uh, he was like a special guest referee at Starcade, and he really didn't do a whole lot of anything. And the way Bischoff told it was that uh, Bischoff brought in Bret Hart to be the face of WCW Thunder uh, because the the people at at Turner they were on his ass like, hey, we want a second show, you know, we want more content from you. So they created Thursday Night Thunder, or whatever the hell it was called. And uh, the idea was that the NWO would be like the face of of Nitro, and then Bret Hart would be the face of Thunder. So Eric Bischoff, the, the wrestling genius that he is, he looks at it, he's like, all right, I got the biggest star in uh, in wrestling, and I'm gonna put him on my secondary show that nobody's gonna watch. I'm gonna have him be the face of the secondary show. Um, yeah. Does that sound at all like AEW with the Elite and CM Punk and AEW Collision? Because the whole time you're saying that, we're going to take the big, the hot wrestling star, the one everyone knows, everyone wants to see, instead of having him be the face of one show, he used to be on the second show. And yes, there wasn't, with this one that we know of, there wasn't as much dissension with Brad Hart and the NWO. I don't know. Maybe there was. Well. That there was with the Elite and CM Punk. But I'm just listening to that going, this sounds awfully familiar. I feel like we've experienced this in the past year or so. Well, here is where it's going to get more similar. So the obvious elephant in the room is Hulk Hogan, right? So what I think happened, and the way that Bret Hart says it and other people that are like more objective on this, because you listen to Bischoff, Bischoff is, I don't know, he's, it's hard to take anything he says serious. Um, Hogan, I mean, you know, he he lies. He, He lied about... Make-A-Wish kids, pal. He said he made invented SummerSlam 92 for the Make-A-Wish kids. He took a Make-A-Wish kid out of the hospital after the Make-A-Wish kid told him he was dying. It was like, no, nah, you're going to come backstage, pal. They watched me main event SummerSlam 92 that Bret Hart main evented, actually. So, Hulk Hogan's lying about Make-A-Wish kids, so I don't believe anything he says about wrestling. <laughs> so... <laughs> um... Yeah, so so oh the obvious elephant in the room is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan had such a big ego. He was like, yeah, I don't want that guy taking my my spot. You know, I, I'm the biggest thing in this company. I'm the guy. I'm responsible for WCW winning the the ratings war. Keep Bret Hart away from me. I don't want to work with him. Like that's, that's pretty much what it was. Like That's realistically most likely why Bret ended up being the face of Thunder. And like, like, like logically, you would think, okay, Bret Hart comes in. This is the hottest wrestler in the company. Like, we're gonna put him against Hulk Hogan. You could do Bret Hart versus the NWO. You could have Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Virgil, whoever else in the in the NWO, X Pac, having them all have them all beat up Bret Hart, hit, hit him with kendo sticks and crowbars, and throw him into trailers. And like, why wouldn't you do that? Instead, Bret Hart's special guest refereeing, and then he's wrestling Billy Kidman, <laughs> like. And then they wonder why it didn't work. Like they were giving us, oh man, they were giving the biggest thing you could possibly have. Like he was Austin before Austin. If WCW knew what they were doing, Bret Hart would have carried WCW like into the two thousands. Isn't it incredible when you reflect on? And I mean, this happened in the late nineties. Yes. And I mean, it feels like history is repeating itself with what's happening at the moment with AEW, but. Uh-huh. You look at this and you I mean you, you just say what you've said there and you think about it and I mean history is just repeating itself. Yeah. And you look at incompetent, poorly ran wrestling companies, and you just like they they're winning the war for a year straight. You're basically you're given on a silver platter Brett the Hitman Hart, who's the most co- like relevant, pol- like 
interesting wrestler on the world. You want to? He's on fire. Oh, his his star is shooting. He's been screwed in Montreal. The evil asshole Vince McMahon has done him dirty, pal. This backstage political rig job has gone down. It has screwed Bret the Hitman Hart. This rig job from Vince McMahon. And what does Bischoff and WCW do? They go, eh, well, we've got thunder going on. Oh, look, it, you know, got, you can wrestle like Billy Kidman. There's Billy Kidman on Thunder Power. Oh, oh, well, yeah, I mean, what, what um, shirt size are you? Are you a medium? Are you a large bread? Yeah, we can try on your singlet referee shirt for when you're a, a special referee on Thunder in three weeks. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Are yeah. you, Kevin. Yep. Kevin. Yep. Go ahead. I, no, I, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm speechless. Like, that's, that is just so bad. And that, that's how WCW lost the war because WWE capitalized on this better than WCW did. WWE said, oh, is there all this turmoil and traction and scandal and drama going on because of this screw job Montreal? Vince goes, damn, I'll we'll say Brett's screwed. Brett, I'm, I'm going to become the most hated man in this company and we're going to run with that. They did that. WCW had Bret Hart wearing large referee shirts, refereeing matches on Thunder. What? And then everything happened with Brad in 98 and then his career was shortened and ended. And it's like, well, what, well, like, what is this? Like one, one followed up properly, the other crapped their pants and now they're out of business and have been for 20 something years. So unbelievable, Kevin, absolutely ridiculous, a disgusting, politically motivated rig job. Yeah. Ridiculous, pal. Well, in defense of Eric Bischoff, he did say in an interview that, uh, that Brett was like, a different man, you know, that Brett looked like a broken man. I guess he had heart his, he had his heart broken by Vince, you know. I mean, it's been described that Vince and Brett had like a father-son-like relationship. There was a lot of love there. They really got along really well. So Brett was kind of heartbroken and crushed, which you can kind of see. I mean, he talks bad about Triple H still to this day. He talks bad about Undertaker. Talks bad about Vince. Like, you know, he's still bitter about it till this day. So that, that all makes sense. Um, <clears throat> and Bischoff said that like he would go to Brett. It's like, hey, what do you want to do, bro? And Brett would be like, whatever. What do you got on the run sheet for me? Oh, you want me to wrestle Juventud Guerrero? Okay, cool. I'll be there. No problem. So he said that Brett really wasn't interested in doing a whole lot. Uh, which, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, to Bischoff's like, credit, or not credit, but to Bischoff's defense, like he can't force Brett Hart to do things he doesn't want to do. You know, like, what is he going to do? All right, Brett, we're gonna put, I'm going to put you in this angle, pal. I'm going to have you jump Hulk Hogan in the back. You know, like, if Brett don't want to do it, like, you don't want to do it. So, I don't know. It's just, uh, on both sides, it seemed like uh, it was destined to uh, to fail. It seemed like there was a lot of hype, but uh, neither party was really prepared for how to handle it. it seems like Brett didn't really know what to do either. No, bang on. Bang on. And I guess I'll ask you the big question now. This is this is the one which people have discussed and debated for years. I, I want your, your take on this. Do you think it was a work or not? The Montreal Screwjob, do you believe from everything you know, every interview, every podcast, every every he said, she said, was it a work? Well, I think Scott Hall kind of, he, he put it like in a different light that I never really saw until after I heard him say it. Uh, he was doing a shoot interview with Sean Oliver and uh, Sean Oliver showed him like what happened, like the, the whole like, like what, how it played out, the whole scene at, at the Screwjob, like with the with the uh the the sharpshooter the bell ringing brett like spitting on vince and like writing wcw in the crowd and scott hall watched that it was like yeah that was a work like that was part of the storyline he's like no way vince mcmahon would allow another wrestler to to like write wcw in the air like if it was real he would have cut the camera and not let brett like throw down the, the commentator's desk and smash things and spit on him like he would have just they, they would have had the screwdrop happen ring the bell and then cut the feed like what scott hall said so i was like hmm that's really a fascinating way to look at it you know i mean it, it if it is a work though everybody involved is doing a great job of keeping it that way because like nobody that's really of the confirmed insiders has come out and said yeah it was fake like if jim Cornette came out and said hey i was there they planned that brett knew about it you know or if like or if russo said it you know if, or Bruce pritchard i'd be like yeah maybe it's true you know but, like, Bret Hart, every time he's asked about it, he's like, no, absolutely not. You know, Vince obviously has denied it. Sean has denied it. You know, they, I mean, everybody said that. They pitched it. 
and Brett didn't know about it. So I don't know, but it was something about watching Scott Hall say that so nonchalantly, just like, yeah, like no way. Like why would Vince allow that? I mean, it got me thinking, I mean, no, no, there's so much heat in the moment. Like if it was like, it, like if it was real, which we know it was, um, there's so much heat in the moment. Like Vince probably not worried about, Hey, get the camera off of Brett pal. I don't want him writing WCW, you know, I don't know. But then again, Vince would know that Brett was going to be pissed. So yeah. Oh, that's such a, yeah, it's such a trick. Cause as you say, if Brett was legitimately heartbroken and when he was well, reports there and what you're saying, he's in WCW. He's just like, he's just sort of a shell of himself because of what happened with that event. And he was never really the same. And he, you know, had like health episodes and all this because of so much like pent up anger and stress from this event, particularly everything that came about. And then Owen dying not too long ago, not too long after, you know? Yeah, yeah, that hardly helps at all. That's devastating for him as well. But, you know, you look at all that and what subsequently happened to WCW with bread and that and would it be? I I don't agree with the Scott Hall take. I I see what he's saying in that sense that, yeah, okay, they could have just had sharpshooter, ring the bell, Sean's escaping up the ramp, not cut the feet. I, I get that. Sure. Who, who's to say the, the camera and production people even knew, right? Right. Like, and maybe it was just, you know, Vince and so Vince, Sean, one or two writers, Bruce Pritchard, maybe. Yeah, Cornette. Earl, yeah, Earl would have been told like right before they went out, maybe. Or yeah, maybe he did. Yeah, he was told like, like as he was walking out, they're like, all right, bro, this is what's going to happen. You got to do it, you know? Yeah, so who's to say that whoever was in the truck and the production even knew? Because, I mean, that's a whole truck or how many people working on production back then. Obviously, nowadays, it's like a whole multi-decker bus of people do production truck stuff. But back then, whoever was there, who's to say they even knew? But I don't know. I, I struggle to believe that this is a work. It, it just, all the, the logistics of how, what led up to it, what it caused with Bret Hart afterwards, the fact that seemingly relationships still, mainly from the Bret side of it, haven't really healed at all and will never it seems like so i don't believe it's a work um if it is it's the greatest work in history yeah it doesn't seem like it just from me spending a few hours this morning deep diving into a bunch of interviews yeah. what happened the situation the behind the scenes of it vince mcmahon the contracts all of it it's, it's just i mean that, that's just that's just what happened vince was like oh, we, we need to get this title off you or you'll embarrass our whole company this is the only thing we he felt like they, he could do out of ego that's what it seemed like, so. Yeah, yeah, because it got to the point where he was like, yeah, we're not going to have Undertaker beat you. Like, it's going to be Sean. That's what I want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, I'm Vince, you know? I'm Vince McMahon, pal. Vince McMahon never runs away from a fight, pal, and usually he wins, and he won this one. Uh, the, what took him down was a paralegal, pal. Remember that. Vince McMahon went through, took on Bret Hart, literally handed WCW the hottest superstar arguably in wrestling history, late 97, Bret Hart. I don't think there's anyone that's ever been hotter than that, you know, from an intrigue standpoint, and took that on and won, you know. But the paralegal took him down, pal. Kevin, and I've got a very serious question for you. This is the question the listeners are wondering. Yep. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that the WrestleMania 39, Night 2, Cody... Roman, the political screw job that went down backstage that cost Cody Rhodes oh from being God. crowned as the world world's heavyweight champion. Enough, 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 enough. This is ridiculous. Screw job is ridiculous. This is ridiculous, pal. Uh, Triple H wrote on a piece of paper uh, at, at WrestleMania 38, right when Cody Rhodes debuted. Triple H that night wrote on a piece of paper: WrestleMania 39, Roman Reigns will defeat Cody Rhodes the wwe undisputed universal championship pal there was no political chess being played backstage from both parties you know oh, yeah. okay. my, my job in 1997 that was a political checkmate from vince mcmahon to bret hart pal okay he he had the king crossed off on, on the board pal the king could not move anywhere without without getting taken down pal by the other pieces pal it was a dirty ravenous game of political chess I was going to say that in a sentence, but no, so that's Montreal. Kevin, is there anything else you want to unpack on that? Because once again, this is a topic that you can just sit at a round table and argue about for seven hours at a time, as has been literally done by other wrestling podcasters, YouTubers, content creators, wrestlers themselves, behind the scenes table. But yeah, anything else on that? Well, let me ask you, like, like just overall, mm-hmm. um, 
What what did before today when you were like preparing for this podcast? Mm. Like, what did you know about the screw job? Like, like what what was your overall yeah. knowledge of it? So before, so th- this is may have so, as someone who was born after it. I didn't live this life. As someone who's me neither. Avid, yeah, but as like an avid wrestling guy, you obviously know of the screw job. Yeah, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were in a match. It happened at Survivor Series. It was in Canada. Bret Hart was champion. And then he wasn't champion and he wasn't aware of, what, of how he was going to lose the title. That was my main sort of, I guess, understanding. Uh, the, the Behind the scenes of the he said, she said, and yada, yada, that's what I've picked up this morning and you put more puzzle pieces together. But to answer the question, my general understanding was, okay, Bret Hart, who was like the big star at the time in WWE, was he lost the title without knowing behind, behind the curtain how he was going to lose the title in his home country where he refused to lose in. And then that just, that set off an explosion of events that led to Vince McMahon being the most hated man in the world and wrestling world that is. And Bret Hart being this big star and well, there was the ball was dropped on in WCW. But yeah, basically my understanding was this controversial event that is just synonymous with wrestling that is probably, and I'll ask you this as a follow-up, I'd say it was the most, I guess, infamous, controversial, famous night in wrestling history. Uh, I guess, would you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is, um, yeah, if we're talking just strictly wrestling, yeah. You know, the most talked about news story for wrestling will always be the Benoit tragedy. You know, there's nothing more, like, just noteworthy that everybody in the world seems to know, you know, uh, from a news story standpoint. But Montreal's right there, you know. Um, in terms of, like, yeah, it's the most remembered match the most significant match in wrestling history in a lot of standpoints. Um, yeah, I, I don't even think it's debatable. You know, I want to talk about it too from this standpoint. Huh. Um, Vince McMahon took a huge risk here. Like, he chose to screw over the company's top talent. You know, like, Bret Hart was the top guy. He was a champion. He had been a top guy for years, you know. I mean, Sean had his moment there, but Bret was really the top guy of the new generation era. You know, after Hogan and Macho Man, all those guys left, Brett was the flag bearer. And uh, Vince McMahon chose to double cross that guy, you know, and not tell anyone. You know, Undertaker didn't know about it. Mick Foley didn't know about it. Stone Cold didn't know about it. You know, like it, it could have easily blew up in his face. And a guy like Undertaker could have been like, you know what? I'm out of here, man. I'm done. You know, and if Undertaker walks out, who knows how many other people would have walked out? You know, Mick Foley walked out, but Mick Foley came back. You know, um, it just that like creating a, an environment where it's like, oh, we, well, is our job safe? Like, are we going to get screwed like like Brett did? It's a huge risk. Yeah. And as Jim Ross says in an interview he did, it was um, Sam, I forget his name, the one big frizzy hair. He does the interview with him and Jim Ross explained, yeah, as the head of talent relations at the time, I wasn't even aware the screw job was happening. And then all of a sudden I'm locked in a room so that wrestlers or people can't get in to, to hit me on the night of it. And then for the next three days, Jim Ross is answering furious like calls from talents who are like, WTF, is that going to happen to me? What the hell? It, you know, if Bret Hart's not safe as a top guy, what yeah. about me? And that's Jim Ross's answer calls pretty much everyone because the whole locker room was like, what? We weren't aware of this. What the hell? Oh, my God. And then Vince McMahon comes in during the, the TV taping the next day and, and sits with the locker room, allegedly. This is, what, this is the story I've heard. And Vince just goes, you know, if you want to leave and you're, you're just, you're, you're going to leave us, we're, we'll help you and we'll assist you. And with that, but we're just going to, we're going to keep marching on and we're going to run and keep our thing going, which, I mean, that, that was a, a, that's a defining moment of leadership. And it could have, as you say, blown up in his face and we could have looked back and gone, yep, that was the rise and that was the fall of the WWE. That was what ended WWE. WCW won the war. Here we are, 25 years. But no, instead, it worked in the WWE's favor in a moment that could have easily, absolutely exploded in their face and ended them. So this is how, this is where you, you have to once again say, Vince McMahon, he steered the ship through a moment like this, all for the ship to be anchored down and sunk like the Titanic by some paralegals. Yeah, it's unbelievable, pal. Like, just a short list of some of the things Vince McMahon has survived. Um, the the Jimmy Snooker uh, serious crime that he committed against his his uh, his girlfriend. Uh, the steroids trial, the Ring Boy scandal, 
Um, Owen Hart's tragic passing, the Benoit situation, um, the steroid scandal in the mid two thousands with Edge and Randy Orton, all these guys getting popped for PEDs. You know, um, I mean, what else is there, bro? Like the 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 whole Saudi Arabia contract. Like oh my God. Vince McMahon has had uh, the screw job being right up there at the top of the list. Vince McMahon has been through a ton of uh, controversies. You know, he's had uh, he's had his name defamed plenty of times and always came out on top in the end, except for a paralegal pal, a paralegal that uh, wasn't even qualified to be a paralegal. She just attended a semester to a law school and Vince was like, oh, yeah, she's got the, the credibility. Let's make her a paralegal pal that he passed her to John Laurinaitis as a uh, as a quote uh, toy. I won't comment on that, but one thing I will say, just with regards to Vince, I mean, you mentioned like the amount of balls that takes in that situation. I mean, it's it's literally in a in a just a normal sense, your house is on fire. This is what the Montreal screw job is. It set everything on fire. Your wrestlers furious, angry, wanting to storm in and confront Vince, wanting to go to talent relations, human resources, being like WTF, you can't do this. I'm done. I'm angry. Everyone was fuming. You've got wrestling media, fans like WTF, what was that? Brad Hart's now like the biggest celebrity star now because he's just been screwed over. And Vince was like, damn it, I'm standing on this ground and we're going to march forward. Like, Kevin, I mean, that's just one of the situations. You listed like a nice list of like 10 of them there. I, I don't think another person, another leader could survive that over the course of a 40-year time frame. I know if like, even one of those scandals or, or things happened, unless I was in charge of WWE, I'd be like, oh my God. Like, you know, this is nuts. The amount of backlash, the amount of like vitriol and hate and outrage and drama from just one of those, let alone all 10 of them or many more that are like more low-key incidents. Wrestlers suing, wrestlers lawsuits, wrestlers angry wanting money, wrestlers this, death threats, hit jobs, like all this stuff. That's Vince McMahon has like gone through and been at the forefront of it's un- it's unbelievable and you know obviously yeah his creative in recent years has been garbage and he has he driven millions of viewers away with decisions yes but i can't believe when you go through this what this man has i mean done been through endured and then put like and made others enjoy it's unbelievable it's just Vince McMahon, the documentary you're going to make on him is going to be blistering, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I can't wait. Um, that's a fun one. Yeah, it's going to be about the uh, the rise of Vince McMahon. Just the rise. Oh. I'm not going to talk about the fall. The fall will be... Uh, that's a, that's a, a long video in and, of, in and of itself. I can make it an hour and a half documentary. Um, but, yeah, the rise of Vince McMahon is such a fascinating story, pal. Um, the screw job, though. Back to that for just a moment, yes. pal. Yeah. So, do you like you? You think like if the screw job didn't happen, say that just put that in a in a box, right? I know it's difficult. It's a little bit of fantasy imagining. Yeah. Um, if the screw job doesn't happen, like what would the WWE or the WWF have looked like in '98 and '99? Like, would we have gotten Stone Cold Steve Austin? Like, would Bret Hart have just gone into WrestleMania thir- uh, 14 and just like? Oh, had a match with Sean, pal, and then Bret Hart sharpshooter. Here we go, pal. Like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, because this is my interpretation, at least, and feel free to say, no, that's wrong. But as we've discussed, the screw job from the WWE standpoint made Vince the most hated character in wrestling history. Yeah. This is this evil villain, which in turn made Austin, who was the emerging big star i mean face he wasn't a face face but steve austin everyone knows his situation it made him have someone he could beat up and everyone wanted to see that guy get beat up so it accelerated austin's star and then everyone could rise up around them so as you say like yeah montreal doesn't happen let's say let's say for hypothetical i don't know bret hart is a dq yada yada then he Brett's good about it. He agrees. He forfeits the title in some American city or something, or he takes some time off. Wrestling marches on, and I mean, Austin wins at WrestleMania. There's no one here to hate. There isn't that real Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon character anywhere near the level that it would have been. Like, because I mean, Austin stunned McMahon in September '97, but that wasn't Brett screwed Brett. F you, you're an asshole, Vince McMahon. That wasn't the same Vince. Like, it, you had Vince before Screwjob, and you had Vince after. 
And you needed Vince after Screwjob to accelerate the WWE in the war. Thanks to like Austin and that. So it's so hard to gauge. Honestly, if I had to make a big take on it, I don't think WWE win the war if it wasn't for the Screwjob and how it all played out in the end. With what I mean, WCW's incompetence as well plays a part. They were just inept. That as well. I mean, that pal, CM Punk talks about the elite not being able to manage a target. WCW, if they were running the target, you'd have employees leaving, the back, there'd be fires in the back, Hogan would walk in, leave it, brother. Get someone else to do that. And then, like, the whole place is burning, and he's just chilling there. Like, you know. It's I love ridiculous. it. Same question to you, pal. What do, what do you think? What happens? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if Bret Hart stays, right, the Attitude Era, I mean, yeah, you know, the Attitude Era might have still took place, maybe, you know. Yeah, we would have still got Austin versus McMahon, you know. But like you said, it wouldn't have had the same heat, you know. Yeah. Um, Austin could have beat Brett at WrestleMania 14, still become champion. I mean, it is fascinating to play that out. Like, what does it look like with Brett involved in the Attitude Era, you know? But then the Attitude Era might not have been as hot as it was without Brett leaving and the screw job. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting standpoint. I think the bigger what if here is, uh, I de- yeah, yeah, it's the question I agree. Like, I think, you know. WCW, I don't know. I don't want to say WCW would have won the war because I, I just don't think they would have been able to to sustain that yeah. success. You know, I think WWE would have outlasted them anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, the bigger what if here is like, what if Brett doesn't get hurt, you know? And Brett, like, came back after his contract was up. So I think his contract was up with WCW in 2000. So if he comes back in, like, 2001, you know, like, imagine Bret Hart just coming back, like, right there at the end of the Attitude Era. And you got like Bret Hart versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 17, say for example, you know, or uh, or Bret Hart versus Jericho, Bret Hart versus Triple H, like all the stuff they could have done, it would have been crazy, man. Well, Kevin, that happens at 17, Bret versus Angle. You can actually show and celebrate WrestleMania 17, right? 20 years on, but because what because of who Angle wrestled instead. You can't even mention WrestleMania 17, the greatest show in WWE history, right? You just can't mention it, yeah. Which is it's nuts, but it's reality. And all these other great things. I mean, Brett comes in. Yeah, okay, Benoit is still around. It's not like Benoit just goes missing. But like in that situation, you're you're subbing Brett Hart for. I mean, Brett does angle. Imagine that in the middle of WrestleMania. Matt Classic. Like I mean, we saw Angle versus Shawn Michaels at 21. Something sort of similar. You'd reckon you give him 20 minutes, and it's just like, oh my god, oh my god. But yeah, just it's incredible and trying to play all this out because this and what let what came after it with the Attitude Era, 98, 99, 2000, this is what led to what we get today. I mean, wrestling, as many say, lives off this time period. If there wasn't this time period of three to five years, I mean, 97 and the couple of years follows it. I mean, is wrestling even like around today? Like, let's just say, you know, for hypothetical sake, okay. Screwjob maybe doesn't happen. WCW keeps plodding along, doing their thing. Probably their rating streak would have gone on a bit longer. Probably WWE, it never gets that same heat. Like, you just never get that true sort of zest that the Screwjob gave it. You know, who knows what happens? Wrestling doesn't get into as big of a boom period. That's for sure. And does it fizzle out? Do we get to the mid to late 2000s and wrestling's just super, super niche? More than is. You know, a few years back. Who knows? When we don't know. This is all hypothetical. It's all hearsay. I'd love to know what the commenters and you great listeners have to say about this. It's such a good topic, pal. It really is. Absolutely. Pal, you ready to go around the world? Yes, I am, pal. And Kevin, one thing I want to discuss today. All right. Wait, are, are, you gonna, are you going to tell us a scandalous story involving your personal life, pal? Look, what I will do, pal, instead of that, I want to discuss something which... <laughs> was nearly scandalous. It was nearly the moment a late heat would have ended at least for a few weeks. Wow. I was in the process of purchasing Elimination Chamber tickets, right? Yes, so that's an yes. Optus Stadium. If you watched any WWE show over the past like three months, you would have seen ads for, look at Perth, look at some kangaroos, there's some emus, there's Optus Stadium. They do these great ads for Australia, pal. Emus. I'm trying to purchase tickets, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> so... It's 1 p.m. These tickets go on sale. Like 1 p.m. is like what this Ticketmaster website has for the sale. I log into my emails. It's like 12:58. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm raring. I got my wallet here. 
I'm like, I'm not going to pay more than about 300. I don't, I don't want to go above 300 for wow. tickets. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'll see what that can get me. Okay. Because ideally, $300 will get you on the floor, right? That's yep. what I thought. Yep. Turns out not. Four seats. <laughs> the cheapest four seat is above $300. Yeah. I was like, okay. I mean, you, you, didn't, you didn't suspect that? Oh, no, I'm, I, I picture you're sat at the very, very back of the floor as in I'm sat in the rings like 80 metres, 100 metres away. You can't see anything. I picture that would be maybe a little less than 300, but I guess not. It's like, it's all like $500 to over 1,000. Inflation, pal. What I will say, the amount of money WWE and all that are making off this event is going to be astronomical. Like, I know the Perth yeah, government... Insane. The Perth government paid a crap ton. Like, they paid the second most behind Saudi for, like, a WWE event. This, like, so much money's going into this. But the tickets, Kevin, I've got my ticket. That's the short of it. That's what matters. Yes. So I'm sat there. It's, it's 1 o'clock. I, get, I click this email link. I'm placed in the queue. You're in the queue. You're in the queue. You'll be taking your ticketing shortly. Because I, I got signed up for the pre-sale. Pal is one of 100,000 to sign up for the pre-sale. I'm loading, okay? It's refreshing. It's refreshing. Finally, it comes up. Ticketmaster. I can see all like the seats. Tickets are available. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm like, this is my moment. This is the moment is now. I go, I want to get, you know, one of X, Y, or Z seats. I put in the allocated price I want to pay. It's, you know, it gives you options. There's like 167, 213, 268, three. Like it goes up and then there's like best available, which basically means you're paying an arm and a leg for tickets. Is what best available means. You're paying thousands for tickets. Every time, Kevin, every time I'm trying to search for tickets between like $150 and $300, it's saying, F that, Jimmy, forget those tickets, pay $1,400 for a ticket in like wow. the, the 12th row. I love that. I'm like, that's not what I'm trying to do, Ticketmaster, you dogs. I'm trying to buy a ticket for $150, $200 in a decent seat, $300. And it keeps saying, F that, you're going to pay half your life savings for a ticket in the front row. I want to pay $3,000. Half of your life savings, pal? Nah. $1,400 $1, is half your life savings, pal? We might need to have a different uh, around the world segment here. I think you need some financial advice, pal? <laughs> it's rich of me to do that. I can afford like any ticket. But the thing is, I'm sat there going... Do I pay $3,000 for a second row seat? Uh, how about no? No. Like, I'm good, thanks. So the resolution of this all, it took 10 minutes. I thought I wasn't going to get a ticket. Eventually, so basically, Kevin, I'm sat and shout out. Anyone, anyone wants to meet me, I'll be in, I think, bay, what is it, 122. I'm not on the floor. I'm like the one above. So you can actually see, you can see over the people on the floor and you actually have a decent view of the ring. So I've, I've got my ticket, pal. That got sorted. I nearly had a panic attack. Kevin, I'm sat here, refreshing, refreshing. The system crashes three times. And I think, oh, F this. I, I backhand my computer screen, Kevin. So I literally, I'm refreshing. I go, F, I backhand my computer. And then the thing, it, it like refreshes again. And I have to join the queue, Kevin. I was having a meltdown. How do I do this? Tony Khan so, style? You're about to start tweeting at a, about uh, your mother's real life illness on Twitter like Tony Khan, pal? Kevin, I wanted to fire my computer with cause. I felt in fear of my life. <laughs> Kevin. So that all happened. So within 12 minutes, we've gone from 12.58 p.m. It's 1.10. I booked the ticket, Kevin. So that's sorted. I'm thinking, okay, we're all good. <laughs> I've got my ticket. Oh, yeah, that's great. Amazing. I've booked in. I've only paid... I don't know how much I paid. It wasn't above 300 but it was close, too. I get my... Do AEW do buy one, get one freeze? When WWE, I'm doing this refreshing, 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 having a meltdown just to get a several hundred dollar ticket, not even on the floor. Anyway. So, Kevin, that happens. Then I'm sat there. Oh, my okay? God. There's more. There's more. So that was my experience getting a ticket, having WWE and Ticketmaster say, F you, forget the tickets you want to buy. Here's the, here's the seats in the front row. I don't want the seats in the front row. <laughs> Nick Khan! I will pay $2,500 for a second row seat. I don't 
function for 12 minutes. I am like hysteric trying to get these tickets. I'll finally do it. It's like 106. Okay, I'll do the thing. With 106, I thought I got my ticket. The fight crashed again and I thought I've missed out on a ticket altogether. Oh so I have to go back in. 110, Kevin. I get the ticket booked in. I think I'm like, yeah, 122 or oh 124, wherever I am. And then I have to book in accommodation. This is the other thing. Ooh. I'm like, okay, let's go on booking.com and arrange accommodation. So I'm like, okay, all the all the accommodation. Can I, hold on, can I interject for yeah. just a moment? They didn't have yeah, like yeah. accommodation, um, like ticket packages. They had those for uh for Royal Rumble, and they were like, forget it. They were like four grand for like four nights at a hotel, a Royal Rumble show, the Raw <laughs> after SmackDown the night before. Like, who? I, I just want to go to the Royal Rumble and buy a hotel, pal. Like, rent a hotel. Context, AW can't fill up three quarters of an arena and are doing buy one get one free. <laughs> uh, these tickets, I'm like, oh my god. Anyway, so I've got the ticket, pal. And then I'm thinking, okay, so that's the ticket sorted. Now I need the accommodation because really the flight part of it, that's fine. I can arrange that in a few weeks. You know, that's cool. The accommodation, I don't want to be staying an hour and a half out of Perth. All right. I don't want to be staying in whoop whoop nowhere, the middle of the outback in Australia with dingoes crawling up and trying to attack me in a tent. I want to be getting accommodation <laughs> close by, okay? So, I can't laugh anymore. And I, I'm like, oh my God, I found this accommodation. There's like like 18 different oh rooms left. It's like two Ks away from Optus Stadium. This is going to be awesome. I'll book that in. It's like a 15-minute walk to the stadium. Guess what happened, Kevin? When there's like 18 left, I go to book it in. I, I, I say I've paid for it. And I get an email 15 minutes later saying, oh, by the way, booking.com is no more of this accommodation. I'm like, there was 18 of them. What? So I then have to go, okay, that's like 30 minutes after the ticket sale. A bunch of rooms are being booked up here. Oh, my God, I need to find accommodation somewhere. I've, I've sorted that out, and, you know, it's an okay price. It's like 5Ks away from the stadium, so I'll probably have to organize an Uber or something. Um, so that's sorted. Kevin, this whole experience, this, like, hour of arranging wow. Optus Stadium tickets for Elimination Chamber nearly caused me to have a heart attack. Trying to sort this out. Nick Khan juiced up prices by 50%. The Perth government put prices on steroids. All the accommodation that was left was like the Crown Plaza in Perth, which is like 2000 a night. I'm like, I want to pay 2000 a night. I just want to stay in some place up the road. Oh my God. Anyway, so that was that. How was your Royal Rumble ticketing experience? Anything wow. Like um, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I can't even breathe from laughing so hard. Jesus Christ. Um, oh man. I'm wow. going to watch this. I, I forgot what I've said, but I, I, I just had to go off. Like that was the experience, pal. It was pure stress. My body forgot how to function. It was like, I lost all my composure. You know, I was just, I was seeing red. I was like a bull in a China shop, refreshing website, crashing. I go through the email link again. The email link doesn't work. So I have to refresh my email. I go in there again. I get a ticket. Wait, never mind. It didn't process. Five minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to get a ticket here. I'm not going to get a ticket. We've sorted it out. There you go. Well, um, wow. <clears throat> that's a that's a clip. You got to clip that and uh, title that the truth about booking tickets or buying tickets to WWE events, I should say. I can't Before even Before you buy right a now. WWE ticket, watch this. Please yeah, that's it right there. Wow. Um, my experience for booking um, Royal Rumble 2024 tickets in St. Petersburg, not Tampa, uh, because, you know, the Tampa government is too cheap to buy a, uh, a stadium, a baseball park for the Rays to play in in Tampa. So the Tampa Bay Rays have to play in St. Petersburg. Uh, for those of you who don't know, 
St. Petersburg is a dangerous suburb about 30 minutes away from Tampa. It's near Clearwater where old Terry Balea lives. Um, you know, even though Hulk Hogan doesn't associate, never mind, I'm not even going to say that. Um, don't even go there. Don't, don't even go, go there. there. Uh, so, yeah, so my experience went a little, a little bit like this. Um, I get an email from MLB.com since it, it, the tickets were in partnership with the Rays. And it's like, here, pre-sales open. Here's the code. Boom. Um, I think it was at 10 a.m., I want to say, my time. Um, uh, 10 minutes later, I got two tickets. I got parking. Reasonably priced tickets. Didn't have any problems with the filtering. Nikon was not trying to force me to buy a $1,200 ticket against my will. That um, was so bad. That was so ridiculous. And Kevin, it happened like five times. I was like, oh my God, I've entered the search filters again and again and again. And it just forgets and says, best available. Here's a site. I'm like, 1500 What? I don't want that. What? Like, yeah. anyway, carry on. Yeah, so yeah, so I get my, get my ticket, uh, two tickets, you know. So St. Petersburg, right? It, uh, Florida's top 10 most dangerous city list. St. Petersburg ranks number three terms of uh crime rate per capita so yeah so th this is what i'm doing for this business pal i'm taking my girlfriend to the third most dangerous st city in the whole state of florida to go watch fake wrestling pal uh all for the love of this business to stuff nick Khan and paul levesque's pockets pal and walk it into a dangerous city pal oh my god Pal, yeah, it, it, pal, it's like you're adventuring into the, the, the WWF locker room of the early 90s. You've got, you know, Scott Hall snorting coke off a rusty sink. Wow. Like, you know, it's a dangerous place. Guns and knives, pal. Nah, I don't know. It's yeah. Just, it's all for, that bit's all for fun, but just, yeah. Well, well for context, uh, Tampa is like number six of the top ten most dangerous cities in Florida. So, uh, can't win either way, I guess, right? Wait, what's number one? What's number one? Um, Jacksonville. Where uh, where all AEW is based out of, yeah. But Jacksonville is literally, in terms of like land, Jacksonville is the largest city in in the United States. It's just you know, not so. I guess that f uh, factors into the per capita. I don't know. I've been to Jacksonville. It's a nice place, pleasant place. Okay, so Kevin, are you saying that the rats in the stadium at Daly's place factor into it being the number one most dangerous city in Florida? <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's what I am saying, pal. No, uh, anyway, like, yeah, so for all the listeners, um, and just so you're aware, heading into 2024, obviously, we'll round out November, we'll do our shows, this Survivor Series content, cool, cool. December, we've been over December, we've got five packed end of year, like, big shows for December. January, Kevin's hitting up the Rumble, as you've just heard, but, the, you know, all this is organized, so we're going to have a Kevin Royal Rumble experience. Uh, he's going to give us live, you know, what it was like at the show. Uh, same thing will happen in February where I go to the Elimination Chamber. Uh, do I get attacked by a kangaroo or a dingo in Perth? Do I make it out of Western Australia in the outback? Waits to be seen. Who knows? We'll see. What's it like? How much do I have to pay for Grayson Waller, Ray Ripley or Cody Merch at a merch stand in Perth, Western Australia? Will they charge $60? For a Cody Rhodes singlet, probably waits yeah. to be seen. Probably knowing the pricing of WWE, I'll pay like twenty five dollars for a little cup of popcorn. That's what I expect. Um, after saying this, will, will they let me in the stadium? I hope so. Um, and yeah, if you if you see me there, say hi. Just even if you're like Jimmy, I'll just be like, where are you? And then I can say hi. Yeah. Um, so say hi to me too you if you see me at the Royal Rumble. If you see me walking the streets of St. Petersburg, pal, say hi. So, yeah. Yeah, pal. I feel like I've burst a blood vessel ranting, but anyway. Yeah, that was crazy. All right, so I guess we're done here. Uh, we'll talk to you guys yeah. on the next one, and peace.